and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry, and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure. Don't be afraid of opportunities, and it's never the end of it. It's never as bad as you think it will be at the end if it doesn't work out. But also be brave enough to say, you know what, this is really not for me, and go back to what you love. Today I'm talking to Stuart Crooks, who is the Managing Director of the Hinkley Point C Project, the new nuclear power station being built in Somerset. Stuart was awarded a CBE in the Queen's Birthday Honours List in 2019 for services to nuclear energy. He lives in Worcester and is married to Alison, and they have three grown-up children and five grandchildren. Welcome, Stuart, and thank you for joining me. Good morning, and uh, fantastic to be here with you, Andrew. So, Stuart, you grew up uh, in the northwest of England in a village called Standish Lower Ground near Wigan, and you went to school at Shevington High School just down the road. Tell us a little bit about your family background and what you were like at school. Well, I grew up in a very small village, Andrew, as you say, Standish Lower Ground. It was a small primary school, three classes for the whole whole year from four-year-old to 11-year-old. So what were you like at school? Was the work ethic there in your schoolwork? So as a child, I suffered from quite extreme eczema. So I spent a lot of time in hospital, going through allergy tests, treatments. So I missed a lot of schooling at, at primary school. Uh, and then when I went off to secondary school, there was none of this choice thing. It was a case of you just go to the secondary school, which is the next nearest one, which was for me, Shevington. And even at Shevington, through my, uh, through my O-levels, uh, as they were at the time, I missed quite a lot of time, spent a lot of time in Salford Hospital. Uh, learned a lot about Manchester, walking around as a child at the time because I was born in hospital and uh, grew a love for Manchester. Um, so education was really challenging for me. I was easily distracted, but the one passion I had at the time was sport, football. I was uh, pretty good at football in my primary school. Well, it would be. There was only a few boys there, so you've got to be good. Uh, and then you move to secondary school and think, mm, these, these kids are a bit better than me but I'm determined to make a career as a, as a footballer. So, so my ambition to leave school at 16 was to be, to be a footballer. Um, towards the end of uh, school, during my, my O-levels, it was quite clear I was going to struggle to get uh, top grades, but the tutors, uh, the teachers wanted me to go on to do A-levels and university. And I was very adamant that I was going to choose my own life. Uh, I was going to leave school at 16. And I calculated that I only need to get four O-levels to get an apprenticeship. I applied for 52 apprenticeships. 52 and I traveled around the northwest of England on buses paying my little fare to get there there was no such thing as my mum or dad taking me there I had to find my own way for the apprentice testing um, and of the 52 apprenticeships I was offered 12 apprenticeships and of those 12 I failed a medical for 11 because of my eczema and in the end my local company was a walking distance from home in great universal stores they said we'll take a chance on you but you have to sign this letter to say you will make no claims against us for any industrial disease caused by work. Um, I'm eternally grateful that this one person, a guy called Ron Mills, the engineering manager, took a chance on me. He said, look, we'll take a chance. And I'm proud to say I'm now 55 years old. So that's 39 years of work. And I've had one day sick in 39 years. It's really interesting when you struggle with those sorts of health issues. I mean, I've been in hospital with eczema and have allergies and all the rest of it. 
that I think it does affect who you are and your drive and your determination to overcome those sorts of obstacles at a very long, you know, sort of young age. I mean, did you find that? So in an early life, it, it brings a determination. I think it also helps with the, with the parents I had, which was, you know, stop complaining, get on with life, lad. You know, what's the problem? You know, are you going to be miserable all your life? Or are you just going to get on with it? And I think that determination, I think, is followed through in my career, where the determination to succeed, to solve problems, to not allow barriers to get in the way, uh, is really born from an early age, yeah. So, so tell us about the, the, those first couple of years as, as your apprenticeship. What was that like? It was fantastic. So, so day one of my apprenticeship, I turn up at, uh, I turn up all dressed really smart, and um, to be told on day one, look, you're actually not going to be here for a year. You're going to go to Lee College uh, for a one year full time to be educated. And you think, for goodness sake, I've just left school. I'm 16 years old. I just want a screwdriver. I just want to go and wire electrical things up. And I have to go to school for a full year again. So after day one of the sorting house and you were put with your classes, it was fantastic experience for me. I was in a, a class with uh, electrical apprentices from hospitals from factories, from manufacturing, from service support, a whole pile of kids from the whole, really, of the Northwest together. Uh, and you suddenly had to build new friendships, uh, new understandings, and, and, and make your way in, in life again. And uh, so for me, that was a great experience. Of, at the end of the, the year, I was nominated for uh, sort of an apprentice of the year for the, for the Most South Training Council and uh, went to the Mers decide to do a, a trade piece a test piece of electrical engineering and electrical installation uh, won that and went off to uh, Berlin my reward was a, a, as a week in Berlin as an apprentice to meet other German apprentices and uh, again that was a fantastic experience first time I'd ever been abroad or even been on an airplane during that time I mean you, you you talked about the range of different people who were, were all at the college there with you and equally going out to Germany and meeting people did you sort of discover that you liked interacting with people at that time I, by nature i'm a natural extrovert i didn't know what it meant at the time but i get energy from people and the more people i meet the newer the people the more different the people the more energy i get and even today andrew i take that um, philosophy through to my management style now I, I always go for the difficult choice in management teams the easy choice is to pick people like yourself the hard choice is to go for someone who's not like you because I'm genuinely interested in their thinking, their, uh, their approach. And I think it brings a whole new dimension to leadership. And when you're leading a project like I am today of uh, an international project with multiple cultures, it helps to have a management team around you that um, think differently. But, you know, you've got, I learned at that point that different people are more interesting. They challenge your thinking. They challenge your approach. And that's a good thing. It leads to a better result. So, so then after your apprenticeship had finished, you joined um, CGB, I guess it was then, and yes. HM2 Power Station while it was, uh, yeah. it was being built and, and the, you worked on the installation and commissioning of the computer control protection systems. Tell us about that. One morning, I, I, uh, as I was walking through the gates uh, at work, my um, engineering manager drove past me in his new company car and I thought, how do I get one of them? You know, how do I get a company? How do I get someone to buy me a car? So I asked the engineering manager, being an extrovert, I, I wasn't afraid of asking questions. I said, how do I get a car like yours, boss? And he said, you need to be an engineer, young man. You need to be an engineer. I thought, oh, OK, what does that mean? So with a bit of thinking, I realised that what I really needed to do is to become a chartered engineer. 
and to become chartered, I really needed to be graduates of uh, an engineering discipline. So I thought, well, how do I do that then? So I applied for multiple universities. So I got a place at Keele, offered to in electrical engineering, one at Salford, because they were deemed to be very good for electrical engineering, uh, and one in Lancaster. So I actually had planned to leave at the end of my apprenticeship and go to do a full-time degree for three years uh, and do a bachelor's degree in engineering. So at the end of my apprenticeship and the 31st of July, my engineering manager proudly uh, presented me with my indentures and said, you're now a qualified electrician. And because you're good, we're going to offer you a full-time job as an electrician, at which point my response was, thank you very much for your offer, but actually I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to university because I want a car. And um, he was quite taken aback because he'd invested in me a lot of time and effort, personal mentoring, and I felt a little bad about it, but it was what I wanted to do. And he said, leave it with me for a few hours. And he came back and he said, look, I'll make you an engineer. You could be an engineer tomorrow. And we'll pay for you to go to college part-time to do your degree. We'd like you to stay. So I said, that's fantastic. Thank you, Mr. Mills. I'll be back tomorrow. I turned up with my suit, my tie and my pencil and my desk. And then he said to me, oh, we've just, just one small thing. We've just reduced your pay by £2,000 a year. So as an apprentice, I earned £7,500 a year. And as an engineer, he reduced my pay. I said, that doesn't sound like a promotion. He said, well... Yesterday you were useful, today you are useless. I have to train you all over again. Let that be a lesson. But at least we'll pay for you. And I'm thinking, I can't understand this. Anyway, so off I went and I, I picked a part-time degree. It was physics. I started at Chewson College in Preston, one day a week, evenings. Uh, it was the only part-time degree I could find. And, uh, and I started mm. on that journey and spent the first year uh, studying for my, uh, my degree. I enjoyed it thoroughly. And at the end of that year, uh, I was visiting my sister who was in uh, Lancaster. She was married to an engineer at Eastern Power Station. He was a CGB trained person. And over that weekend, I was reading the local newspaper, the Morecambe Visitor, uh, reading through it. And it said, advert, CNI engineer. And I thought, oh, I can do that. I can do that. And on the spur of the moment, I, uh, I filled in an application, which was in paper then, uh, sent it yeah. off to become a, a CNI engineer. And I got a job offer, which landed on my desk in the April of 1986, which most nuclear engineers will remember because it's synonymous with Chernobyl. So in April 86, I got my job offer. I said, yes, two and a half thousand pounds a year pay rise. So I started on 9,560 pounds a year, which was a big pay rise. I was getting married. It was a great new adventure, moving home, moving house, etc. cetera. Uh, and I accepted the job. And then two days later, Chernobyl happened. At which point my boss said, are you sure you want to leave? Do you want to withdraw your resignation? And my response was, absolutely not. I'm going to join this industry and prove it can be safe and it can benefit society. And that's my mission. And I'm going to start as soon as I can possibly get there. So that's how I came to join Hesham 2 as a, a CNI engineer. But I'm interested in this, um, this part-time studying uh, because later on you went on and you did a, an MBA, you know, at Lancaster University. So yeah. it sounds like that you're the sort of person that really does want to stretch themselves, see what they're capable of and explore different areas, be it engineering, physics or, or business. Has that been yeah. a feature, you know, of you and a drive within you? As an apprentice, you learn confidence to tackle anything. Uh, and that, that is a big feature. But as I, as I started at Hesham, I'd set off on this mission to become a chartered engineer. Um, I had only done one year of degree. 
And at that point, I transferred to a part-time degree at Manchester Polytechnic, as it was at the time. Uh, Manchester Met, as it is today. Uh, one day a week. We started at nine. We finished at nine. Uh, we did multiple modules, joined in with the full-time students, etc. So that was in physics. So I spent two years doing uh, physics, uh, got a distinction in that. Then I spent two years doing applied physics, honours degree, and got a first-class honours degree. Um, and then I got to become a chartered uh, electrical engineer. So I was absolutely proud as punch because it'd been four years of one day a week. And at the time, the CGB didn't really give me any time off. It, it, they said, you can have one day a week off, but you must pay the time back at the weekends. So for four years, I'd work six days a week. Um, on Saturdays, my passion of football was to play football in the afternoon. So I had to get in work by six, complete my eight hours, and then I could finish in time to get to the football match. Uh, and play football. Um, from a family point of view, by then we'd managed to have three children. And uh, as Alison looked after the kids during the day, and then she worked in the evenings, I worked during the day, looked after the kids in the evening. And at weekends, uh, if I was going to play football, I had to take the children with me. And then uh, that was the feature of our weekend. So six days a week for four years was quite, quite a challenge. And uh, ultimately I got into as a chartered engineer and that was quite a seminal moment for me. Because having chased this dream for best part of five, six years, when you arrive at the end of the road, you then say, is that it? I just get a letter from the, from the IET as it is today saying, congratulations, you're a chartered electrical engineer. By the way, here are the fees you have to pay. And by the way, if you don't pay your fees, we'll take your certificates off you. Uh, and for me, obviously, the next thing was management. And um, because of my professional attitude to, to life, I think of what would distinguish a good manager from a not good manager, because I want to be a really good manager. And the answer was, well, you need the qualification in management. So I asked the CGB at the time, would they pay for me to do an MBA? Uh, they agreed um, on the same basis that I couldn't have time off, but I could pay the time back. Um, but I did a consortial MBA at Lancaster University for two and a half years. I learned so much about myself and so much about business and so much about other people. So, so tell us a little bit about that, because I'm always interested that there seems to be this dividing line almost between a career in science or engineering or you know, technical route or a management route. And they, they're, they're presented often as a, as a complete choice, you know, um, Tell us, how, what did you learn about yourself as an engineer in that world of business and management? I think the first thing you learn is, is like I say, is, is, there's, there's no, there are no answers. But what I did understand is my educational training as an engineer, logical problem solving was highly valuable in any management sphere. The ability to solve problems in a structured way is really valuable. And that's what engineering teaches you. Science teaches you to solve problems. Um, and that was really valuable in management. And even today, you know, I'm the managing director of, uh, you know, if you look at how many people we've got working on this project, there's over 10,000 people. It's a 20 billion pound project. You know, we spend this year not far short of three billion uh, pounds uh, next year. You divide that per month by hour, by minute. It's a lot of cash. And you can come bamboozled by... Uh, the cost of it, but when you really boil it down, is the cost of people. It's the cost of people. So managing people is the most fundamental uh, skill that you have to have. And uh, for me, in, in this job, you should you should never forget your roots. You know, yes, I'm the MD and I manage shareholders and stakeholders and governments, financial people. But 
ultimately it's all about people it's all about problem solving and it's all about understanding and not being afraid of the details so my style at the of management is to something i learned a long time ago in nuclear is to trust but verify trust everyone but verify what they're telling you so i have masses of reports on my desk you, you can see my desk of indicators graphs charts loads of data it's lovely for a scientist to have data but the reality is that that data is produced by humans by people and often unconsciously they shape the data from the bottom to the top and the higher you are in management the more the data is shaped so every week uh, tomorrow uh, is, is tomorrow i'll be down on site and i go to site and i spend three hours and i walk around the site and i talk to people and i look at the plants i look at the construction uh, and I form my own view. I create my own data set. So effectively, I, I completely sift through the layers of iteration of data presentation and go right to the source and go and speak to the supervisors, go and speak to the, the people who are putting the rebar in, pouring the concrete, fitting the electrical systems and pipework systems today. And ask them, how does it feel? Where are you? What are you doing? When will you be finished? What's your target? What are your plans? What are your aspirations? And then start to talk to about them as humans. You know, where do they live? Where do they come from? What are their worries? We've been through a massive challenge in COVID. But understanding some of these people and their backgrounds is really important to understanding the performance of your project. And it's also, it goes back to your ability to engage with all sorts of different people and all sorts of, you know, you've got an international project where, what, 20%, I think, are international 80% UK, all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of family pressures, you know, maybe some of them are doing part-time study like you did and developing and all the rest of it. And your ability to engage in a positive way that engenders trust, um, enables people to tell you what really is on their minds and what their concerns and worries is hugely important. Mm. I just want to take you back to a, a particular moment when you finished your, your MBA and you joined business development and you were telling me that you went out to Philadelphia. Tell me that little story and what you, what that taught you about yourself. Um, I think if, the first thing you taught me patience, you know, so having been a freshly graduated uh, in MBA, full of my old confidence, um, full of confidence then at that point, I said, right, that's it. I want to be a manager. I've got a management qualification. I want to be a manager. And I remember speaking to the uh, station director at the time, a guy called uh, Tony Cap, and said, Tony, I, I need to be a manager now. And uh, I was 20, late 20s at that point. And he said, it's fine. You're growing well. You, you, you're doing really well in your career. Just be patient. And I thought, it's all right for him to say he's old. You know, I need to get on. And um, so I applied for a job in business development. It happened to be in the newly privatised British Energy. And my job was business development. And you think, what, what on earth is business development? And so I, so I applied for the job, got the job, great, went to Edinburgh, sat at a desk, no emails, nothing to do. My job was to develop business, uh, which really boiled down to analysing spreadsheets and doing NPV and IRR calculations and looking at opportunities for, at the time, it was CCGTs in the UK. And after two days, three days, I'm thinking, well, this is a bit monotonous, but um, as it happened, uh, at the time, British Energy were looking to buy into nuclear power plants in the US. And they said, sure, you've worked on a nuclear power station. How do you fancy helping us out doing some uh, analysis of these plants? The plants at the time were Three Mile Island, uh, Clinton and uh, Oyster Creek over in the US. Um, how do you fancy going and helping us? 
I said, yes, great, no problem. Uh, hopped on a plane, a Boeing 747 with my boss, a guy called Duncan Hawthorne. And he taught me a big lesson. I got off the plane in Philadelphia. Duncan went one way and he said, right, find your own way. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm in Philadelphia airport. I have no idea where the office is. I have no idea what my job is. I don't know who to speak to. And it's the first time I've ever been in the US. And Duncan disappeared off and went off in his car. And, and it was a very good lesson for me. And uh, I found my way there. And after a, I was supposed to be there a week, and then it was two weeks, then three weeks. Looking at spreadsheets, I'm not really a spreadsheet person. I'm not really, I'm an operational project manager who loves people. And I've got myself in a job here where uh, I really need to do something to get myself out of, out of a job. And I was very grateful. So I rang uh, HR, uh, Ruth Allert, she was called. Uh, Ruth was the person in charge of talent within uh, the business at the time. I rang Ruth and said, tell me where the jobs are that I can apply for, Ruth. I, I need to come back to an operational role. Uh, there were two jobs on offer. One was at uh, Dungeon SB in Kent as a business manager, and the other was a technical manager at Hesham. Uh, and I was lucky enough to get the job as a business manager back at Dungeon SB, working for a fantastic leader, a guy called Andy Spur, Dr. Andy Spur, who's uh, still active in the nuclear sector today. And uh, Andy took me there as business manager. Um, and I've never looked back since. And I think the, the lesson there, Andrew, was that there was an opportunity for me. I took it. And I was brave enough with a challenge from my wife to say, is this really what you want to do with your career? And um, I said, no, and I went back to operations, but I didn't see that as failing or as thinking I've made a bad decision. I made a decision. I learned a huge amount in that year about learning of how to self-motivate, new skills, new countries, new cultures. Uh, working with Duncan taught me a lot. I learned a lot from Duncan. You know, went on then to be ultra successful in Canada and then came back to the, US, the UK. So I'm very privileged to work with some fantastic leaders. I think the key message there is don't be afraid of opportunities. And it's never the end of it. It's never as bad as you think it will be at the end if it doesn't work out. But also be brave enough to say, you know what, this is really not for me. And go back to what you love. Absolutely. And find your way there. I think that's it's a hugely powerful story that because unless you'd taken that step, you would never have known and the relationships and the learning and everything else that you had during that time is, is so important. So, so you, you then had a number of um, roles within, um, I guess, British Energy, and then as, it, as it, it, it developed, and you ended up as the chief technical officer and a member of the board uh, of nuclear generation. And during that time, you, you had a huge impact on the operating fleet of power stations, you know, the best, you know, generation year, or output in 2016 and so on are there any moments during that time i mean you talk about the nuclear industry i think is a sort of industry where you have to solve problems you know in critical areas are, are there any incidents during that time that you think that i learned a lot you know from that and it had a big impact on the on the business and the output that was uh, that was coming I think if we, if we go back to Dungeness, Dungeness has always been a challenging plant and uh, people are saying, well, why would you want to go to Dungeness? And uh, I often tell people a year's work at Dungeness is like 10 years elsewhere. You get so much experience in one year. And I was very fortunate at the time to work with Andy. He was a fantastic problem solver, great intellectual, uh, but also a great leader and encouraging me to develop and, and test and try new things. Uh, at the same time, I, I worked with a guy called Neil Britton, who's, a, again, a, a brilliant uh, engineer uh, from, uh, that I worked with for quite a while. And uh, these two people inspired me, really, because the positivity they had and their drive to solve problems 
uh, inspired me to do better every day. So I had a good learning. I had seven years at Dungeness, and I tried. I went from business manager, fuel route manager, operations manager, and then deputy station director before I, I was appointed station director of of Hartlepool. Um, I was the youngest station director the company had had ever. Uh, I remember turning up, and the guy there, a guy called Pete Webster, said, "Are you sure you're experienced enough to do this? It's a very difficult job, young man." I said, yeah, it's all right. It's just about people, really. I'll never forget my second week in the job in the emergency control centre, having released a cubic metre of tritiated water onto the floor through a leaking valve with 15 fire engines queued up down the approach road. The news, the press, and I was sat there thinking, this looks like it's going to be a challenging day. And just as I looked out of the window, I'll never forget a golfer, because we had a little golf course at Hartlepool Power Station, walked past the fire engines with his golf caddy and teed off. And I'm thinking, that tells me something, that, that this old retired guy from Hartlepool, he's playing golf and he's took no notice of the fire rangers or anything. So that bad day got better slowly with that little sense of smile that we learned how to manage difficult situations, media interactions, difficult scientific decision making, but more importantly, how to manage people under stress. And then, of course, in the summer, we, we took the outage and then didn't come through the outage because we had a problem that we had identified in our safety cases, which we need to manage. I learned another lesson there about leadership. It's um, the CEO at the time came to site and said, Stuart, this plant needs to be back online by Christmas. Just sort it out. And my response was very open. It was very transparent. And um, I used a phrase saying, I just say what I think. And my boss said, Stuart, if you'd have thought about that, you would never have said it. <laughs> so I think that was a good lesson to me as well. And that was the next step on to more challenging technical problems we had at Hartlepool with uh, fixing problems when we were faced with uh, further technical challenges down the line. It's a huge learning curve, isn't it? And um, taking responsibility and stepping up in that responsibility, as you say, not, not thinking that somebody else will solve this for me, but taking ownership. Um, and now you're sort of somebody characterized you as somebody with vision drive and commitment and i can see that all the way through your career and in what you're doing now as we talked earlier you know at hinkley point c is is um inspirational and the progress of the project you know everybody's right behind that and and hearing the good news of of, of you know this year through difficult circumstances as well but i just want to take you back perhaps to the uh, the youngster who was starting first starting at Haysham, um, what would be your best piece of advice to that new starter, do you think? It was to summarise, Andrew, I would say, seek opportunity, take opportunity and seize the day, and never be afraid of looking back. Every opportunity you look at will give you learning, will teach you new things. There's never a bad outcome. There's never a bad outcome. And when you take a path that you think come to me in your heart is not really what you want to do, don't be afraid of changing your path. It's your life. It's your career. It's your choice. Never feel trapped. Um, you know, in my experience, I, I, you know, I've leapt into things and thought, good grief, why have I done that? Or why have I made that decision? But seek opportunity, seize opportunity, never look back and always consider the learning and enjoy every day. I've enjoyed every single day of my career and continue to do so. Get up in bed in the morning, think, right, what problems are we gonna to fix today? Um, and it's, it's never waste a minute. That's so. great. And, and as I say, so encouraging for young people who might be feeling, you know, I'm in this role, is this it, you know? But look for opportunity, take it, grasp it and learn on the journey. So um, yep. 
Stuart, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you this morning. Thanks so much for your time and have a good day. I will do. Thanks, Andrew. It's been great to speak to you again. Take care. If you've enjoyed this podcast, to help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.